Hey, and welcome back to the Interleague. And in today's episode, we've crowned a champion. But as always, I'm typically the champion in this relationship. But my name's Chris, and Spags, you there? I'm I'm here, second place, I guess. Or I, mean, I don't know. Like, if you're the champion, do I like make the playoffs? Like, where did I get knocked out? Hey, I mean, you talk second, you're second, dude. What are you gonna do? Fair enough. Fair enough. You got track record, you know. Always first. Yeah. You're not first, you're last, or in this case, second, which is last. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes so, sense. When there's only two people, if you're not first, you're last. That's the way it works. Odds, odds are not always in someone's favor, though. You know? Yeah. Such as life, Smags. You're just gonna have to deal with it at the interleague podcast. We deal in. Well, we don't really have the home absolutes in this channel, but. If you wanted to, we could start dealing with absolutes. We could. Uh, but yeah, as Chris said, um, another baseball season's behind us. Uh, the Los uh, Angeles Dodgers. So fast. Yeah, it's like it's like they only played a third of the season. That's what it felt like. That's how fast it went. Oh, dude, but didn't no? They played the full. It counted as the full season, so <laughs> it did. it's the full season. It did. Yeah, Dodgers win it in six. Um, it was close. My prediction was was close. Uh, really, it probably should have been the the Dodgers in in five. One could argue, um, but then you also could argue that there was no business with Kevin Cash taking Blake Snell out of Game Six. So maybe that looks different. Did the Dodgers technically win it in six, or did Kevin Cash lose it? Yeah, I feel like I feel like after Game Five, they had like a travel, yeah, you know, like a pseudo travel day, and Dave Roberts and Kevin Cash met for like dinner or something. And he was just like, look, Cash, when you feel like taking somebody out, like, you're the alpha. Like, just take them out. And then that's don't what Cash did. Don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. They don't know if they're tired. They don't know that. Yeah, it's like, well, let's just overmanage. Just overmanage, dude. Just do it. It's fine. Hey. Yeah. You'll hey, be here next so. year. Look at us. We go to the World Series every year. Hey, call Mike Matheny as soon as you need to know what to do. Hit him yeah. on the phone. He'll tell you. Yeah, pull your player. Not a big deal. Yeah, so so for anyone that uh I don't know, I if you didn't if you don't know what happened in game 6 of the World Series, I really don't know why you're listening to this podcast. But what welcome. If, what if there's someone welcome. out there that literally waited until this moment right here, like later in time for them more than us cuz we're we're always in the past, they're in the future. Right. Um but they're like here it comes right now. They're hanging on. They're wanting to know. Yeah, like who? What? What, what went they down? Know. What went down? I don't know. They're hearing <laughs> it first right now, live. Yeah, but 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 basically, yeah, but basically, Blake Snell was pitching an absolute gem. Um, pretty lights out through what he went. He pitched into into the sixth, I think. So it was like five innings. I think he'd given up one hit at that point um mm. hadn't walked anybody struck out nine uh the top mm. three batters in the in the um in the order for the dodgers were oh for six with six strikeouts through the evening so far he gets the first guy out i think on one or two pitches to lead off the sixth he gives up just like kind of a, a decently hit ball back up the middle like out in the center field Quick hook, Kevin Cash immediately pulls him. Dodgers go on to score two runs in our yeah, two runs in the inning, and I think they tacked on a third in the seventh. Maybe they scored all three in the sixth, I don't know. But 
either way. I'm pretty sure they scored two runs. But either way, Dodgers go on, make it three to one, get to the the Rays bullpen, and the rest is history. Um, strong, strong, strong pitching performances from the the um, the bullpen from LA. So give credit where credit's due. Um, what I think Tampa Bay got on the on the board again early. Uh, that was the Rosarena home run, right? It's like the only run they scored. Yep. Yeah, so <clears throat> um I forget who started. I think Gonsolin started again. Um yeah, Kershaw pitched game five. I think Gonsolin made the start for game six. And so they just kind of piecemealed through some bullpen. Um Julio Urias was huge out of the bullpen. I think he pitched two or three innings to close it out again. Um just a, a real gutsy performance to close out a World Series. But it it all unraveled fairly quickly when Kevin Cash took out Blake Snell. Um, obviously, if they keep him in, who knows what happens. But the big thing for me is that he was only at 69 pitches through five innings. And I think they pulled him at 73 pitches. So it's not like he was laboring. He had already gotten out. Like, at that point, like with his breaking ball, it's uh, someone rolling the ball over for a tailor-made double play and you're out of the inning. You know, now you're you're through six, you're up one nothing, and you're you're looking at a point that you're turning it over to, you know, Anderson, Fairbanks, Castillo to close out the game, not piecemeal through some innings. You know, coming in with guys on base, facing the top of the lineup. Um, it was just a really weird scenario, a really weird decision. Um, there, it, there's literally nothing I can come up with to justify why Cash made that call. It's when managers want to be a part of the game, you know, they're like here, they're just, I think you said earlier, they're just overthinking it. Like, Ooh, you know, like uh, this is my spot. I think I got to do this right here. If I like, I've been trusting my bullpen, like all those things are relevant up until that uh, you're going to go home if you don't win this game. And you're like, you're dude, you're like number one, like, like your other number one is kind of like really old. So like, you're, you know, kind of like you're, your face here, like outgoing face of your franchise is, uh, you know, pitching well. So you just let him, it lives or dies with him. It's up to him for that moment. You know, don't yeah. let yourself be involved in that. You're not the player. If he's not pitching well, you then be the manager and says, hey, it's my job to take you out in a position like this. Sorry. Like you had a chance. No big deal. Um, but not when they go out and give you that and they could clearly had more. It's just, it's inexcusable. And I don't even coach. I haven't, like, you know, it's, I think anyone can make that judgment. So, yeah, I haven't heard his, like, why yet or anything. Yeah, I, I didn't really look into it at all. Um, in all honesty, I think the best thing that happened to Kevin Cash is everything that then also happened with Justin Turner. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) because it it left so quick. Yeah, so, like, it just, it just completely overshadowed what, what else took place in that game with like how it all ended and like what came out immediately thereafter. Um, but I, like I, to be, to be completely honest, like I don't even really care what cash has to say. Like there isn't anything he's going to say that's going to be anything other than an excuse. Like the only thing I would want to hear him say is that I made a gut decision and I was wrong. Like I, I, 
this was my thoughts that Snell tends to struggle his third time through the lineup or something of that nature. Like that, that's what he tried to square it away with. Like that's what he tried to explain. And it just like, sure. Yeah, cool. I get it. Like you, you, a notebook somewhere told you that this was the right decision to make and you no longer, you know, were able to manage a baseball team on your own. Like, yep. Some some computer made a decision for you, and you stuck with your guns. Um, and like I said, like I like I, in that situation, like for a game like in just like the dog days of July or August, that it isn't even a justifiable decision. He wasn't struggling, um, pitching extremely efficient. I mean, he had nine strikeouts through five innings and was still under seventy pitches. Like that's pretty effective. Yeah, maybe if you know like. If you're like, oh, hey, like we've been pitching really well, haven't really got some of the, you know, guys in the bullpen some work. Like we're going to let, we're going to give Snell like, you know, quick work today. You know, unless he's pitching a no hitter, you know, we're going to give him some quick work today. Let these guys pitch, you know, especially if we're just winning the game. Like, but even in that, like they're only up, what, one nothing at the time? Yeah. So, so like you're three nothing, four nothing, like comfortable lead. Like, right. Like, hey, good work yeah like we're we're sitting pretty i want to keep your workload down uh the game plan is that we're gonna start morton and we're gonna you know go to morton and then we're gonna go back to snell and then we're gonna go to glass now and switch up righty lefty righty you know give them different looks like if that was the game plan for game seven cool great i get it like think outside the box that's what you got to do but like you said they were they were up one nothing not four to nothing not five to nothing it's the same issue I had with Roberts having a quick hook for Kershaw where the middle relief is the weak part of their bullpen. Um, and you had a guy that was dealing in a game that was really, you know, like it needed to be a big win knowing that you had your bullpen going for all of game six. Like game five was really crucial for L.A. in my opinion. Um, you know, Tampa Bay not winning it. They were coming back with Snell, who had been absolutely disgusting for most of the playoffs. And then you had Charlie Morton to go against Walker Bueller in game seven and a game seven in the World Series, especially in a neutral site, I, like with minimal fans. It's as much of a coin flip as you're going to get. Um, so I got like it, it's anyone's game at that point, And that's what I was looking forward to. But you, you have to win game six for there to be a game seven. Like, if it means that Snell gets you 120 pitches, then so be it. I mean, they threw Glass now for, like, 113 pitches when he didn't look sharp at all. Like, I think Glass now walked five guys in that game, and they let him throw 115 pitches or some crap. You know, so it's just, it just doesn't make any decision. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense that his decision was so drastically different between Snell and Glass now. It, it was almost like, all right, Tyler's our ace. Like we just don't think you're that good. Like we don't have faith in you, so we're we're gonna pull you. Uh, Cause they gave him a quick hook in game two, and Snell was openly adamant about how upset he was that he got pulled so quickly. He got pulled after giving up his second hit. Like Blake Snell made two starts, and I don't think he recorded a win. And in the nine innings that he pitched, he let up three hits, and I don't think he, he recorded a game. Like, uh... Ownership's like, hey, uh, we got to get him out of there if he keeps pitching. Like, it's going to cost us more yeah. money. Yeah, it, it's just, well, it's crazy. Him anyway, but. Yeah, it's just, in, it's insane that, like, you look at his stat line and you're like, how did this guy only pitch, you know, 
nine and two thirds innings and two starts in the World Series. Like how? Ridiculous. Like I just I just don't get it. I could I could bitch and moan about that decision until I'm blue in the face. And the best part is like I don't I don't even really care. Like yeah, whatever. It would have been cool to see the Dodgers lose again. Like get there, not get it done. Um, Walker Bueller was kind of just on fire. Now. Yeah. It, so and it would have been. It would have been it would have been amusing to me. Um, my cousin made a good point though that if the Dodgers didn't win, then they're just gonna be in still for like every big name free agent. So you would see the Dodgers like being in for someone like JT Real Muto, you know, to, to get like a better option. The Dodgers and catcher. won't still be in. I mean, they, in LA. That's how they spend money, sh- right? For sure. I mean, it's there. It's definitely still a possibility, but the pressure is a little less so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like for a guy that like was catching Kershaw really well and has a good relationship and he started to catch Bueller and he's starting to work with like the, the younger pitchers and stuff like that. Like maybe you're not as tempted to, to replace a guy out like that. Of course, you know, like Peterson, you know, may leave via free agency. Um, they had technically dealt Peterson to Anaheim um, in in lieu of the bets trade. And then when the bets yep. trade got restructured, they revoked that trade and that deal fell apart. So it's like, seems like they didn't really value him to be there anyway. Um, so I think there's a strong possibility he leaves. So maybe they look at replacing someone like that. Um, like maybe they're in on like a George Springer. Uh, maybe they go after like an Ozuna or something like that. Who knows? So like I, I expect them to be in play for free agents still, but not to the extent that they would have been had they lost in the World Series yet again. Um. And then on the flip side, if Tampa Bay would have won, you know, good for them. The little guys getting it done. Um, I think it would have been kind of the cherry on top for just how weird the season was. Um, I do think that the best team in baseball won the World Series in 2020, so I'm not really going to be that upset about it. Um, I think the Dodgers have been the best team in the NL for quite some time. Um, and I, I, I just I don't think there's anyone really yeah, in the but AL. Yeah, if they would have had to play 162 games, would they have been able to make it? Through? Uh, strong, definitely strong possibility. Like, I mean, it it switches things up, but I'm I could I would say the same thing. Like, what would the Yankees look like if they played 162 games? You know, like I'm we probably would have gotten off to a really bad start because until the season started, like Paxton, Stanton, and Judge all weren't healthy anyway. So. Yeah. They would they they still would have missed that time and then they still would have probably gotten hurt again so they would have missed even more time um, so who knows how bad they would have been like that they, they won in lieu of having you know a pretty mediocre lineup at times um, especially like when Lemayhew went down Torres got hurt so they're adding making it 162 games I think the season looks a lot different um, but in a like in a snippet of where it is the Dodgers were the best team in the regular season and then they won the world series. And I do think that on paper going into 2020, I think the Dodgers for a normal regular season would have been pretty high favored. Like they would have been pretty high up there for odds to win the world series. So I'm not as mad about it. Like at least it wasn't like, uh, like the Marlins won the world series when they shouldn't even have made the playoffs in a normal year. Or like think about like the Canadians and the Blackhawks like made the, made the playoffs in the NHL and they were like the 12 seed, like probably neither one of them would have come close to it. If they granted, I think they both got knocked out pretty early on in the playoffs, 
But if they would have went on some miracle run and you had like this weird oddity that a team only made the playoffs because of COVID and then they won, a, they won a championship, that would feel way worse to me than what happened in baseball. Like I can kind of look over all of it and be like, oh, the Dodgers went to the World Series in 2017, 2018. Yeah, like they've won their division like five years in a row now or whatever. You know, they're they're a good team. They're going to be around for a while. And that's who won it in 2020. So you no longer have like this weird name on the list where it's like Houston, Boston, you know, Washington, the Miami Marlins, <laughs> like, hmm. you know, the, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers, like that one in some weird, crazy season and whatever. So I'm happy for that reason. It would have been cool if the, you know, like, to be able to say, oh, the Yankees got knocked out by the champions. Champions came from the AL East, you know, whatever. But that's just small little bragging rights that I just get to say to make me feel better about why the Yankees didn't perform that well in the postseason. Um, but it didn't. Like, it, it's so crazy to me. Like, it, it really highlighted to me the World Series really highlighted how bad the Yankee pitching actually was <laughs> because they made Tampa Bay's offense look really, really formidable and gave up so many home runs to Tampa Bay. Um, I don't know if it was the difference between, like, being in San Diego versus being in Texas, something along those lines. Like, I, I don't know. But Tampa Bay's offense looked so much worse in the World Series than they did in that division series. Like, they like even in the ALCS, like, Houston's pitching made Tampa Bay's offense look pretty, pretty subpar. Um, yeah. But I was like, man, like, if the Yankees had any of this pitching, that you know, like they they should have dominated Tampa Bay. You think the Yankees didn't go out and get pitching? Um, if they don't, I will be highly surprised. Um, I think it'll be tough to do because I think that it's going to be really hard to gauge what people are valued at. So I think it's going to be tough for free agents and teams to come to, to good deals. Um mm-hmm. But, but we'll see. I mean, it's not like they're they're in terrible need of it. Um, they could do with their rotation what the Cardinals did with their offense. Or not their outfield, sorry, not offense. Um, but with their outfield, you know, where it's just like, hey, we have these. Oh, I, I definitely don't want them to be in that situation. I hope that they at least add one starter. Um, and to be honest, I just hope it's another ace. Like if they can get like a 1B to back up Cole. Um, like I, I really would like it Is to be Trevor Bauer bringing back Tanaka. Um, no, so I, I don't think they'll bring Tanaka back. Um, I think that your, their play with Tanaka would have been to, if they had an interest in resigning Tanaka, they should have offered him a qualifying offer, but because they didn't, I, I think that they won't be able to come to an agreement. Um, the only reason why they wouldn't have offered him is because they think Tanaka would have taken one year at 19 million and they don't think he's worth that. I, I personally think that he would like given what was going on. Like he's not super old. I think he's 30. Um, I think that not offering a, a one-year deal. Cause I think Tanaka will be looking for a multi-year deal. Um, and they're going to be leaving a draft pick. Like they're going to get draft pick compensation if he went somewhere else. Um, so I, I think it was a missed opportunity because worst case scenario, he does accept that offer, um, which is, started. yeah. And, and then you have Cole, you have Tanaka, like you'll get Severino back at some point, but probably not to like closer to the all-star break. 
Um, Domingo Herman, who knows what he'll look like. Um, they didn't have him work out or anything at all last year after his suspension finished up. Um, so it'll probably be like, you know, him start to stretch out. Cause I don't think he can really do anything with the team until spring training. So he'll probably do like typical off season type stuff. And then they'll probably want him to stretch out and work up to it. You know, maybe spend some time with the minors and kind of refigure it out since he hasn't pitched at all competitively in a year. Um, so they, they have some pieces that'll come back. Like obviously you got Davey Garcia, you got Jordan Montgomery, um, you know, they, they got the prospects like Clark Schmidt, stuff like that. So like they have options for guys that can fill starts. Um, J.A. Happ will not be a Yankee, so that's that's a plus. Um, they didn't offer Paxton anything, but you know, you so you have a lot of a lot of spaces. But to me, I think that if they would have given Tanaka the qualifying offer, worst case scenario, he he accepts it, and now you have Tanaka under a one year deal. If you, you know, so you're not investing anything big. You're just giving him one more shot, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's a pay, it's a pay cut. Like he was making, I think like 22 million a year prior to that. So it's a couple million dollars that you save off of what he made, you know, previously. Um, and then if you bring in a guy like Bauer or something along those lines, then you're, you're looking at Cole Bauer, Tanaka, and you're filling out the back of your rotation with younger arms. Um, if if the reason why they didn't offer Tanaka and the reason why they don't bring in pitching is because they plan on like you know bringing back Lemayhu uh, and like going after Real Muto and trying to make moves like maybe in the trade market and you know shipping uh, Gary Sanchez somewhere um, you know something along those lines like then I I can see them trying to fill that. Um, if they don't bring LeMahieu back, I know I was talking about before we recorded that I wouldn't mind them going after someone like a trade piece for like Francisco Lindor, who there's all kinds of rumors that Cleveland will be shopping him. Um, he's going into his prime. He's under a one-year deal. So if you get him in the offseason, if he if you don't have an interest in re-signing him, um, you, know, like you would be able to do the qualifying offer, and he's, of course, going to decline that. So you get draft pick compensation there. Uh, and you can shift Torres back to second to fill LeMahieu being gone. And Lindor gives you a switch hitter that can bat lead off for you uh, to kind of fill the void of what LeMahieu had been doing for you. Um, obviously, he bats like 100 points lower than LeMahieu, but I think it it adds some diversity to the top of the Yankees lineup, uh, whereas right now they're predominantly right-handed, and now you have a switch hitter, so he doesn't kill you. And he's obviously really good. So, um, But I think you'd be able to deal like a, a Sanchez... And, you know, maybe like a, a young, a young pitcher or, you know, one of your relievers or something along those lines, like you might be able to deal like a, a Sanchez and a Chapman for Lindor. Um, you know, they picked up the option on Britain, so you're going to have him through 2022. So you have a closer that can play that role. Um, if they keep Chapman, I won't be mad about it, but I just, I, he hasn't been able to get it done when it matters. Um, for the most part, and I'm I'm just kind of over it at this point. It's probably harsh, but whatever. <laughs> you know. But anyway, see, so yeah, like there, there, there's tons of things. Like, it, the, I guess the next big check mark. I mean, we're kind of all over the place because it's kind of naturally progressed into this. But yeah, I mean, it's the qualifying offers are out. There's only six players that got them. 
um, there were tons of teams that had club, like tons of players that had club options that were declined. Um, and I think that that 100% is because of COVID-19 sales losses. Oh. Oh, like yeah. that there's like, whatever, we don't have, we don't have the money. So we're not going to pick up your option. Like not that we won't bring you back. We'll renegotiate, but I'm not going to invest the money that I once said that I was going to because I don't have to. And it was like in full force too. It wasn't yeah. like, this was like, this was almost like a group decision. Like, Hey, we understand through owners that like a couple guys need qualifying, like need qualifying offers. We get that. Um, but the rest of them, let's just go ahead and not. And then if we all take the stance to renegotiate, they can't get that much money from us. Yeah. Like, I, like it legitimately feels like, cause I feel like there's the possibility as well that the Yankees are just like, yeah, we lost. I'm just going to make numbers up like, oh, yeah, we lo- we lost, you know, 75 million, 100 million dollars last year from revenue. So we're just going to cut our payroll from where it was and like Paxson will be gone. Tanaka will be gone. LeMahieu will be gone and we won't bring anyone in. We won't sign anyone. And so for one year, we'll really lower our payroll and we'll recoup what we lost. Yep. Like we'll we'll get back, you know. 65 million dollars that we would normally have spent on payroll that we didn't spend because we had guys come off the books you know hap coming off the books you know all this crap and there's like and we'll we, just let we might still like right and like because they they yeah we well we have this triple a team it's like what do we need to sign these major league talent for we have these triple a players and it i i guess it makes sense to me like i don't know why more teams don't do it if that's the route that they want to go like hey like cool play play for us or don't but like I, I'm gonna put faith in our young kids, and I'm gonna pay less and less for these players. And you, you guys do what you need to do. Like I'm not gonna give you thirty million dollars a year. Like it just it isn't worth it to me. So, it's it's an interesting dilemma. I don't know what'll happen with it. Um, I I think it it's something that MLB may have to step in and address. Um, and I think that that's where, um, Manfred sucks. Like I think that's where his big downfall is yeah is that he he doesn't know how he doesn't know how to take into consideration both sides of the coin um i get like as commissioner like he's basically like a representative of the owners on behalf of the league but to me i feel like that's what's that's where it's the fault lies like i i don't know how most other leagues are set up but i feel like there should be the commissioner and that commissioner is like his his job like solely what he's supposed to do is to you know the betterment of major league baseball so all all parties included that make up major league baseball he is supposed to push for the best possible solution for everyone involved you would have a players union and you can have an owners union if that's what they want to do and you know like they can have a representative and the three of them can meet if they just want one solidified voice but it shouldn't be 30 owners barking at manfred and then manfred meeting with tony uh what's his face i can't think of the pa um yeah the union rep for them i can't think of what it is i want to say tony gonzalez but that's like the guy that played football (laughs) yeah so i feel like that's not but labor union guy <laughs> it's not how mlb players association yeah like the mlbpa like union rep tony clark that that might be it 
Yeah, it's definitely it. Executive director, Tony Clark. Yeah. Tony Andrew Clark. Murphy, your boy, Andrew Miller. Yeah, but Tony, Tony Clark. That's Like I said, Tony Clark. That's what I said his name was. You know, yeah, Tony Clark. If you don't believe me, rewind the tape and listen back. Tony Clark. Um, but it's like, you, yeah, it's like you could have something set up in that realm. But first and foremost, so to kind of circle back to game six we were talking about, because we mentioned it briefly, like how Kevin Cash got off the hook because of what went on with Justin Turner. So if you watch the game, Dodgers pretty often make defensive changes to solidify their defense. But one of those is normally not Justin Turner being removed from third base. And I forget who they put in. I think it was like Edwin Rios or something like that. Because he went in the third for the Dodgers. And that's not a typical move. So everyone's like, oh, well, did he get hurt? Did we miss something? Like, hopefully there's no kind of emergency. You know, whatever. Um, so game goes on. Dodgers win. They celebrate. And I'm I'm watching with Katie. And Katie hates the Dodgers. So she's nice. all she's all pissed off. Good and Cardinals fan. Yeah, she's Great all pissed Cardinals off fan. and hates it. Um, and so I was like, these guys aren't social distancing. I'm making a joke. You know, I was like, they are not social distancing. Like, most of them aren't wearing masks. You know, I was like... It's crazy. I was like, we're going to hear tomorrow. It's like, as 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 much as I don't care that the Dodgers won, I was like, it's going to be hilarious when we find out tomorrow that all kinds of Dodgers players test positive for COVID-19 because they aren't social distancing. Like, they aren't following protocol. So then I spoke it into existence because the next day we find out that Justin Turner got pulled in the game because the MLB became aware of him testing positive for COVID-19. So I was like, oh, that's great. Like, who knows how long he had that? Yeah, like, whatever. And then, like, they're they're in a bubble. So how how did he get it? You know, did someone break, pro, you know, protocol? Like, what what's the deal? Then on top of that, Justin Turner, like, was isolated. They told him, like, hey, can't celebrate with the team. Like, you tested positive. We can't do it. You're going to put other people at risk. Not allowed. Whatever. So he breaks that protocol and sneaks his way out on the field. Not only does he sneak his way out on the field, he's not wearing a mask. He's fist bumping people. He's high fiving all these things because he wants to be out there to celebrate with his team, which I get. Like, I think that that's understandable, whatever. Yeah. You, you do you. Um, but it's just like, Hey, you, you put all these people at risk and the MLB is like, you, you can't do that. So I think that there's a strong possibility that MLB is going to be backed into a corner because of public perception with everything going on with this pandemic, that Justin Turner will at the very least be fined and will potentially be suspended for his actions during the world series. I think it's over. Did he get fined or anything? No, I don't think you'll ever hear anything about it ever again. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out that he got fined. If, if he does, cause I think that his actions do do merit some reciprocation. I, I I personally feel that way. However, the the precedence was kind of set when you didn't punish anyone that played for the 2017 Houston Astros after you found out that they were cheating. <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna what are you gonna do now? Yeah, like yeah. So if What's you punish, yeah. So if you punish Turner here, like you literally punish this guy more than anyone that had anything to do with the cheating scandal in Houston in terms of players. 
because he celebrated on the field. Like, he didn't cheat. He just didn't follow social distancing protocols. And the only reason why they would do that, and they would they would fine him, is because of public perception that if they don't, MLB will be, you know, just bent over by the public, like, on how they didn't handle this, that players can do whatever they want. They aren't policed by the MLB. Like, they don't have control of their players. This is crazy. It's all sham. Yada, yada, yada. Like, why did we get robbed of, like, they obviously didn't care. Why wasn't the season a full season? All the stupid things that are going to come along with it. So... It'll be it'll be interesting, like, to see what happens. I I think that there will be like some sort of investigation or whatever that takes place. I don't know if that'll be like a disclosed amount that he gets fined, but it would not surprise me that they fine him and be like, hey man, can't do this because that's that's what they would have done during the regular season. So they kind of set the bar that this needed to happen. Um, the only thing that I would say they would potentially negate that is if they were to able through the investigation, they were able to determine that normal distancing protocols and safety protocols within the bubble were not breached and MLB's bubble quote unquote didn't work. And if that happened, then he, and he, and he contracted COVID-19 through a means that the MLB said he was safe from and that they were protecting him against. It's kind of on them. I think that he caught it. So they're going to be like, Hey, definitely not the way this is going to play out. Oh, I, I know the, he's going to get fined. Like I, it's the way it's going to go. He's going to get fined. Yeah. He's also going to sign a fat contract. Probably. Uh, And he won't care. And he won a world series. He won't care. But, the Dodgers will pay them. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. And no. uh, sports in general doesn't care. Like the players, they want to care, but like they don't, they don't really care. It was about them. I get it. They wanted to run around. Like, so it, it's, it's pretty much, there'll be a couple of players. I know, like, if you just search like uh, <clears throat> Justin Turner's name, like, even like Trevor Bauer still kind of talking about it. Joe Kelly's still talking about it. Those are kind of the outspoken guys about everything. And when it's just those guys, people are like, oh, that's just Trevor Bauer and Joe Kelly talking about it's another crazy thing. But that's so, that's the whole thing is that I think Unfortunately I think it'll just be a wash. Right, but I I think it being hush hush, it might be hush hush to the public, but I think the players will know. Like I think they'll find out what happens. Like especially like Joe Kelly being a teammate of his. Like I, and I think that it'll it'll become public because of that. Like and that's what I'm saying. Like I think it's bullshit if he were to get fined because they set the bar so low on how they're going to punish people for something far worse, you know, with 2017. So I think you're the one that shared this with me though. So this is a perfect transition into talking about 2017. Um, so for those people that don't know, Chris is on this new kick about conspiracy theories mm. and he loves them. They're great. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I I will say with the caveat. I don't think he necessarily bites in all of them, but they're no, they're entertaining. Pretty much, pretty they're entertaining. Much. So Chris likes to let me know about them because he finds them entertaining, and some of them are pretty great. Yeah, some of them I'm like people really like buy into this stuff. Yeah, yeah. like people so, out there be like, Did you read some comments on a Reddit section, you know, that's the first place I always know you go because when I send you something, you're like, 
comments are gold. I'm like, oh, sometimes the it's best part of the internet. Yeah, it's the best uh, part of the internet. Or like, the yeah, comments. I not even read the article. Uh, yeah, the comment section, especially on things posted on Reddit, you will find some of the most comedic responses yeah. ever. Like if you thought, like if you thought it, it's in the comment section on Reddit. Like they are yeah. ruthless. But they better. will make you feel but bad better. about yourself, and they will make you cry with laughter. They're great. Yeah. So anyway, so the reason why I led with that, so that one of the the there's different variations for it, but one of the more, I, I would say, popular conspiracy theories going around is that we all exist within a simulation. You know, that like this is all just like something controlled by a higher power kind of thing. Um, if you want to know the ins and outs, just Google it. You'll find it, whatever. I'm not going to do it justice. And if we were to go into that, that's all we would talk about for the next that's hour. That's another podcast. It's yeah. Thursday's <laughs> podcast. You got to check us out at an earlier time, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the interdimension podcast instead of the interleague. Um, but anyway, so so with all of that, <clears throat> Chris shared with me this thing from from Reddit that the the way the 2020 World Series Game Six played out was proof that we were in a simulation because of the eerie eerie similarities between that and Game Six of the 2017 World Series between the Dodgers and the Houston Astros. Um, so again, both, both game sixes, I'm just going to run through the similarities that they have on here. Um, games were played a couple days apart. Um, game six was on Halloween, 2017, uh, October 27th in 2020. Uh, Verlander started for the Astros. Blake Snell started for Tampa Bay. Both teams were facing the LA Dodgers. Um, the pitches that Verlander threw through five innings was 69 pitches. Blake Snell also threw 69 pitches through five innings. Verlander had struck out eight batters through five innings. Snell had struck out nine batters through five innings. Um, Justin Verlander had allowed one hit and or walk through five innings. Blake Snell also allowed one hit and or walk in, through five innings. Um, the score entering the sixth, the Astros were up one nothing in 2017. Tampa Bay was up one nothing in 2020. The lineup of the positions due up for the Dodgers in the bottom of the sixth was eight nine one. Um, I actually I don't know if the I don't know if the Astros were the home team or not in Game Six 2007. So either way, in the Dodgers sixth, they had the eight nine one spots due up for both games. Um, the they three the same hitters, weren't yeah, they? the three batters batting in the eight nine one spots were Austin Barnes, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner. The Astros opted to leave Justin Verlander in. Tampa Bay, as we've covered, opted to pull Blake Snell. The result of the inning was the Dodgers scored two runs in the sixth inning, in both games, and the final score in both games was three to one. So, so it doesn't matter what you did. This is just what happens in game six. Like this yeah. is, this is the, the program that ran, they simulated it out. This is what happened. We've been here. We've done that. Here we go. History repeats itself. Just change names, rinse and repeat, whatever. So it's just really eerie how similar things were. I don't like, I'm sure the way the runs scored were different, but ultimately it was just like, it didn't matter what choice Kevin Cash made. We've seen this before. They lost Verlander in and he gave up the lead. They pulled Snell. He gave up the lead. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's all fake anyway. And someone else made the decision before this even started. So whatever. Yes. 
somebody tried really hard to get Kevin Cash out of this was like paid by like a hey figure out how Kevin Cash didn't fuck this up and that's how, that's the you just read the uh compliments of that <laughs> yeah and and I will say I will say like I I like when I when you said it to me I was like that's really interesting I wonder if that's accurate all I did was check that it it was Verlander that started it was one nothing going into the sixth, and it was a three to one Dodgers final that they won. Um, the major difference is obviously the Dodgers then ended up losing Game Seven to Houston, um, and then uh, obviously Tampa Bay um, lost Game Six and they lost the World Series. So some some differences between the two, but Game Six in itself, the similarities for just being a couple years apart were really really eerie. So. You know, he went farther than I did. I just read the headline and sent it to you. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you didn't even look at the the stats that it broke down for you? <laughs> no, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's crazy. Well, then there you go. Now, so now you know. Why I was like, oh man, this is crazy. Um. So anyway, but yeah, that's again. If you want to know more about that, <laughs> tune in Thursday podcast. We'll tell you all about it. Um. So what? Uh, where are we at? We're like the 40 minute mark. Um, kind of got into what what's next for the Yankees roster. Um, I guess on the Cardinal side, the real big thing at this point, in my opinion, like I don't think it's, it I don't think it's weird that they didn't offer qualifying offers to Wainwright or Molina. Um, I think we talked about that before we started recording. I think both are are likely looking at one year deals, and they're probably gonna get way less than 19 million. So if you were going to oh. give them a qualifying offer, there's no doubt in my mind that they would have accepted it because it's way more than what they're probably going to get elsewhere. I know <clears throat> you could make the argument to pitch it up to Molina um, because he's probably looking for a multi-year deal, but I would be willing to bet that Molina may look at like two years, 20 million. So if he could get that 20 million in one year, why wouldn't he take it? And then just try to do a one year contract the year after um after you see how it goes you know whatever like you get the money that you want and then if you have a really really bad year then you're just like all right cool thanks i'll i'll be back you know like i'm I'm good i'm gonna retire whatever um so that that doesn't really surprise me but i i think again like we talked about that there's all these teams out here that their owners are making decisions that are like what was me i only made you know, thirty percent of what I expected. So I only made three hundred million instead of a billion dollars this year. Yeah, I'm broke now. I'm so I'm poor. So you have, so you have them like, so the Cardinals opted to not pick up Colton Wong's option. Um, just like twelve million dollars. Twelve you know, and a half million for um Colton Wong. I yeah, I, I mean, feel like it's not a bad deal. Like, not, not at all. I mean, like he's uh like strong possibility. Yeah, strong possibility he wins. Yeah, like, did he win a gold glove? I don't think they've announced gold glove winners yet. I think he's a finalist at second. Yeah, I think he was up for the gold glove this year. But yeah. he won his first one last year. Right, so you're even if he doesn't win it this year, you're going to get gold glove, gold glove caliber defense out of him. Yeah. He's, he's not going to kill you. for like five years. So. Yeah, and he's and he's not going to kill you offensively. Um, no. You're going to get a long bomb uh, every once in a while. You're going to get a leadoff homer every once in a while. Or you're going to bat him in the ninth position. The guy hustles to first base. Like, he's he had some problems uh, under Matheny, but who didn't have problems under Matheny? Yeah. Um, and, like, he finally has come into his own. So, yeah. I, if we lose a good baseball player, I think I was telling you this, like, I'm not going to be 
thrilled about it. Yeah, I mean, um, he's he's 20. Hey, let's put Tommy Edmond uh, in Wong's spot and continue to let Matt Carpenter play. I understand we're paying him, but like $12.5 is just like not much money. So Yeah, he's – so he's he's 29, so not not that old at all. Um, he hit 265 last year, which was second on the team behind only Paul Goldschmidt, who was the only guy that hit over 300 for the Cardinals. His on-base percentage was third on the team behind Goldschmidt and slightly below um, Brad Miller's. Uh, I think Brad Miller was uh, what like 357, and Wong's was 350 on base percentage he led the team in stolen bases um yeah like he, he also made both of our squads yeah he yeah made both squads and the only two players that had more games played than him were paul goldschmidt and tommy edmund that's it yeah. so and unless their argument is like like the unless the way they're looking at it is all right well we're we have edmund under contract and we want to give him everyday looks and we don't have, we don't have a spot for him in the outfield, you know, cause we have Fowler and Bader and Carlson and Thomas and um, O'Neal and all these guys. So we don't really want to put Edmund out in the outfield and we're already paying Matt Carpenter fat money for 2021. All the money. So, we need to save money somewhere. We're not going to be able to trade Carpenter. So let's just decline Wong's option and we'll ride us out. And then we'll revisit where our team's at after we get some of these contracts off the books, like what the Yankees are doing, you know, like that, that, that mindset. So maybe that's what they're doing. The only way, the only way I can get behind this move is if very, very quickly. And by very, very quickly, I mean by like mid November, Colton Wong has signed a new deal with the Cardinals and it is just backloaded in pay. So like essentially they go from paying him like 12 and a half million this year to maybe like three or 4 million in 2021. And then like it progressively goes up, but he finishes with making like, you know, 16 to 18 million on the back end. So it's like that same, you know, 10 to 15 million type price range, but it's more backloaded than front loaded. And so, yeah, you might end up with like a relatively bad contract, when he's, you know, 35, 36 years old, but it helps you save money now and get out of the, you know, get out of the, the red a little bit from having a, a year down with revenue. Because like they said, like, uh, the Cardinals rely pretty heavily on ticket sales and the Cardinals do like, I, they're, they're in what's considered like a small maybe, market or medium market. Maybe if you didn't sign a billion dollar TV deal. Right. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's, to say that it's about money, it's so frustrating for us because we're just like, hey, th- this is where this is where we're at. But I, it's an ungodly amount of money for sure. Like they're bitching because they lost more money than I'm ever going to make in my life. Um, and I, I get it. You know, like they're not in the business. Like it is still a business, and they're not in it to not be profitable. But it's just a slap in the face for the three million people that come to see your team, to come see your product and root them on and live and die with the Cardinals. Like whether or not a Cardinals, like the Cardinals win or lose, can set your mood for the following day because you're that in and you're that invested and you've bought into what this does for the city. To be like, 
well, we lost money last year, so we're just not going to put as good of a product on the field. Like, we're not going to do everything in our power to bring in the 12th championship because we lost money last year. Well, if no one shows up because you sla- you spit in all of their faces, like, you're, like, you're going to lose money too. Like, you rely on those ticket sales, so don't put a subpar product on that. That's what the Rams did, and look what happened there. I did Rams killing it. Yeah, I mean, like, and they... And the shitty part about that is that the Rams sold more tickets here than they do in L.A. <laughs> and they sucked when they were here. So I, it's just it's it's asinine that this is the approach. And that's why it's like I think at some point it's going to require MLB like big wigs to step in and be like, nah, this isn't this isn't how we're going to do business. Um so I, I take that action. They were already like, yo, let's strip our farm systems. We're going to yeah. cut weight. Like we're, we're full in like, well, oh, we're going to lose so much money. Like I'm for like, stripping oh the farm God, systems. We like we act like baseball is not going to be around for another hundred years. And we don't have I, what's going to happen in three years. Just all of a sudden, no one's going to go to baseball games. We're going to be totally out. Like all of a sudden I get no revenue ever. Like I, oh, we got no team anymore. I'm broke. Yeah. Completely broke. No, remember I mean, 2020 when they played the <laughs> game, lost all that money. Remember? Yeah. The, that 100, 102 no. games of tickets we didn't get. It's, it's not going to happen. These guys, their kids are going to be owning this team still. And they're going to be like, remember 2020 uh, when we lost all that money and then we made more money the next year because we fucked everybody? That's what the conversation is going to be. Right. Like, yeah, we. 2020 when we lost all that money because of COVID-19. Okay, boomer. That's what they're going to say. Except for the Mets <laughs> because the Mets new owner it hasn't lost any money in COVID. He's made more money in COVID than most people will make. He's but that's but that's because Steve Cohen but that's because Steve Cohen was able to do what MLB couldn't. MLB tried really hard to put their losses on somebody else. And still reap benefits. I just feel like that's what Steve Cohen did. He was just like, "Hey, man, yeah, no, no, like you're you're no, losing I, money, I but nah, nah, not, not me, man. No, like I get, the, I get that, yeah. you know, because the economy's down, that you lost two billion dollars, but you pay me first, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was nice to like you coming in, uh, resetting everyone's salary um, back to pre-COVID. Um, amounts reinstating all the Mets employees um and it sucks for kind of some other teams that maybe thought like they'd get some Mets players uh here and there because it doesn't sound like that'll happen anymore but um I know you won't like it because that team will be spending money but there will be one team that benefits out of this and I think it's the Mets because I think they get um some some guys on some team friendly deals that nobody else is willing to give them um, maybe you know one or two year deals. Let other teams get back to the normal, and Steve Cohen kind of finds his way into the major leagues, retooling a team like that. Uh, and then the other two losers for me is Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, because I think in a normal year, I think they get signed. Probably no questions asked. Yadier Molina gets signed um, to close to the same contract he's under, um, just because money flows easier. Um, and now they're. I think they've lost a lot of leverage with how old they are. And really the only thing people can tie them to is the, which well, I'm sure we're going to come up talking about is the TLR move. Um, and really does that even make sense for a team just to bring a guy in for like a year, maybe two years. Like, so, I mean, there's a lot of pros and cons that go with that, 
uh, for uh, team rebuilding to pay a guy that's been in the league for almost 20 years, you know, a bunch of money when you're trying to cut payroll. So I think it's bad news for them um, and probably means a little good news for us because I think they'll come back now for sure. But. Yeah, um, I I agree. And like I said, like it's, it, it's really all that's happened so far. Um, I I don't think it's odd that they didn't offer qualifying offers to Molina and Wainwright. I was a little surprised by the Wong move, but I think it really just depends on like what their next step is. Um, I, I think there's a lot of ways they can take it. If I had to bet on one way, I think that it's going to be Wong gone and you're going to bring Molina back and Wainwright back at like a, a smaller amount than what they made last year. They'll probably be incentive laden contracts like they were for Wainwright for 2020. Um, you know, X amount of starts, X amount of wins, you know, if, you win a Cy Young or an MVP or you make the all-star team or whatever, you get extra money. So like, it'll probably be like, maybe they're worth 15, 20 million if they really, really perform. Otherwise it's relatively free team friendly contracts. And then you're going to see pretty much the exact same team that they brought in. Um, I think the one big thing, cause I think Brad Miller's also a free agent. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like he was yeah. also a free agent. Um, I'm looking up cause I think it was just a one year contract that they signed him to, uh, like back at the beginning of the year. Um, good. yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know if that would be the other, the other aspect that they're like, Hey, like let's, let's bring him back. So right now you had a team that struggled offensively and two of your top three offensive product, like production points aren't on your team right now. So you gotta gotta do something, because mm-hmm. um, if they don't, they won't. it'll it'll I think it'll be a very long year for Cardinals fans um, if that were to be the case. Oh, dude, just chalk it up to a long season, dude. Chalk it up to a long season. We're gonna be figuring out what's going on in the outfield again next year. Um, we're gonna be wasting good pitching again next year. Um, we're gonna watch Matt Carpenter again next year. Like probably the worst thing that could happen was really COVID. Like there's, it's next like, year's going to be abysmal. Yeah, like so many teams are going to use it as an excuse to not sign players, um, mm-hmm. and that's and that's why I think it'll be interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of one year deals. I think that you might see a lot of like a couple teams. Like, like I I think that if you're a team that goes out there and makes a big splash early, you really set the precedence to like go out and get another guy. Like. Like let's say like the the Yankees for example like let's say they make a big splash and they sign Real Muto to a multi-year deal and that that's just the route they go like really early in the offseason like with free agency going on that they're like nope we're gonna invest in like we want to win whatever and other teams are slow to do that and guys aren't getting their multi-year deals and stuff like that like you might see a Trevor Bauer turn around and say like you know what like yeah I'll do a one-year deal and I'll sign but I'm only going to do one-year deal with the Yankees because they're out here trying to pay players and they want to win a championship and that's what I want to do so I'll sign a one-year deal with them but if this other team wants me like nah I want my three or four-year deal um yeah like if the Dodgers want to sign me now nah, like you didn't want to pay me you were trying to shortchange me and the Yankees are out here taking care of players you know like that's what that's what we want like they we're in this together it's like 
pay us and we'll work for you. Like we'll bust our ass. We'll bring a championship. Yeah. You know, and it's just good business. So I think that teams that go out there and make a splash and free agency early, you might see them pick up like some stragglers to relatively team friendly deals or really high reward, low risk. I should say like, maybe it's like a big splash, like, Trevor Bauer for 22 million, but for one year and you're, so you're just like, all right, like if you aren't what you were like the Cy Young type year and it wasn't really a good fit for us because I've heard he's kind of an asshole. Um, you know, like if you're not a good fit for us, we're only locked in for one year and we can revisit what we're doing, but we're going to add this piece to really try to drive it home and do what we need to do. Like if the Phillies were to pick up something like that or whatever. Um, and I think if you make a splash first, it kind of sets like that good faith buy that you then might be able to go do that. Like if you're cutting guys and then you're trying to nickel and dime everybody and we someone and get them for the lowest price, you know, the lowest possible price you can. And the long run, the like other players just aren't going to want to sign with you. Like, I feel like they talk, yeah. you know, it's like teams just aren't going to like, nah, man, you're not trying to take care of us. Like you're trying to look out yeah, for your bottom chat. dollar. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of these, I mean, a lot of them have the same management. So, like, all of a sudden now, like, you're fucking one agent. So, like, now you're not getting any of those players. So. Right. Like, no, we're not we're not going to talk with you anymore. Um, but yeah, so so we'll see. Um, so, like, there's there's a couple dominoes that could be next, but we'll see how it how it plays out. Um, the next big check mark is players declining qualifying offers. And I think that that'll happen. Um, it's a 10 day period. So I think it's like November 10th when that triggers. Um, I think we'll get to that point before any deals really start to happen, uh, because teams need to know, like they gotta have to know that first before they know where they're at. Granted, there's only six. So there's some teams that don't have any, um, but you don't know who's out there. Like you don't know if LeMay is a free agent or not yet. So teams will probably wait. And then, like I told you before we started recording, I think that the month of November, it'll be relatively busy. Um, and teams will try to make some moves prior to the winter meetings. Um, so that way you can start to try to fill out your roster through trades when all of the GMs get together. Well, the winter meetings last, what, two years have been pretty silent. Yeah. Like, so I don't think much, much has really happened because they can wait. I mean, as long as they're all waiting, like they don't have to spend money. So just wait. Yeah. And that's why I think that if, if a team pulls a trigger first, they put themselves to be, to be in a spot that's very beneficial for like those like late January, early February signings, like right before spring training starts. Um, I think that you'll see that or, or even like I could see someone like Trevor Bauer, like not joining a team until March, you know, till like the season's getting ready to start up, you know, maybe he just, you know, he's got a pretty strong worth work ethic. So I think even not being in camp for, with a team, I think he'll be in good enough shape and he wants to be able to pitch every fourth day anyway. Um, so I think he's going to work pretty hard, but I, it, I just, I think that there's a lot of different ways that teams could go about finding success outside of the normal. Um, and I, I think that part of that is being aggressive early and making a big splash. Like even if it's just bringing in one piece, but spending money on a player and giving them their value, I think will make your team look very appealing to other guys that are getting dicked over by other teams. Yeah. Or at least be in the combo with a guy, you know, like maybe you lose out on him, but like, right. Oh, but hey, you were, you're, but you were there also like, offering. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, make sure your name's well-spoken. Correct. Not, not, oh, well, 
showed up to the Cardinals. They offered me a one-year, $12 million deal or $8 million deal. I ain't taking that. Um, but yeah, so I guess, like, next I had on the list, I mean, we can get I maybe maybe viewed as good news. Probably irrelevant for a lot of people. Um, but the TLR deal, like him going back and managing um, mm-hmm. the White Sox again, it's – I, I don't know how I feel about it. It's really it's really weird to me. I don't know I I don't know much about like what the relationship was like with Rick Renteria, um, you know, who was the manager there. They mm-hmm. had a, a good year last year. I mean like they were like they fell apart kinda at the end, like they really stumbled down the stretch and then obviously disappointing in the postseason, like getting knocked out by Oakland. But they like it went three games. Like they're, I think they're one of two teams that had their, that pushed it to a game three and got eliminated. Um, you know, but they, they were in a very tough division and they were competitive in it the whole time. Um, they say it was a mutual agreement to split. Um, I, but I just don't know why Like, did they have a ton of young talent? I feel like the team was in a good spot. Like they they looked well. I mean, he, yeah. I I would say he was like on the older side. I mean, he's almost sixty. It's like I don't know if he was wanting to retire, or if he's gonna try to find a deal elsewhere, you know, whatever. But then they signed Larusa. I can't find like how long they like signed him for. But mm-hmm. like Larusa's seventy six. He's like the oldest manager by far now in the MLB. Like he wasn't terrible with young kids, but. He, like, I, I don't know, like, he, like, that was kind of the reason why they parted ways with him, was, like, they wanted to go, like, he, he wanted all, and he's like, all right, cool, like, I'm going to hang it up, and then, he, granted, he got back into baseball relatively quickly, you know, was in Arizona doing, you know, executive, like, front office stuff for them for a while, and then it just, it was kind of, I don't know, where, like, I don't even know that he... Like I, I, I wouldn't even have thought of Tony La Russa being on the radar if a team was, you know, with a team looking for a manager. Yeah. So I've, uh, I've run into a little bit or listened to a couple of different conversations, at least around it. And apparently like Tony La Russa has been like real, like ever since he's been more in like a front office role and doesn't have like, uh, for the most part, like everyday decision-making and like, oh, hey, this situation's going on. Like, this should be happening. Like, he's really had a hard time, like, not being in control in some of those situations. And it's really made him miss um, being a manager. And so that's what made him want to do it. Um, And he still felt like he could do it um, just fine. He had already been traveling. Um, He just seems like it's just going to be just fine. I personally... I like Tony Lewis as a player or as a player, as a, as a coach, obviously. Um, but there's definitely been times in his career, um, like the Colby Rasmus thing, like that wasn't the most amicable situation that's ever rolled through the St. Louis Cardinals, but that's kind of a one-off thing that like, really like Colby Rasmus dad was involved with too. It wasn't just Tony and Colby. That was like Tony and their family and, was Tony Lewis so wrong in that situation? Like, was Colby Rasmus like one of the best players that ever lived? Like, no, not really. Like, so like Tony's been through many players, many situations. I think the coolest stat I heard from him was like the he coached somebody that was like 
born in like early 1900s and now he's going to coach somebody that was born in like 1999 or something stupid um like that's just like the range of kids he saw like so to say he's not going to do well with uh these younger players yeah i don't i don't know that he will or not not it's probably not true and i think I, i know we've talked like this will be people will start praising i think the people that tony rosa brings into that organization and really that's the stamp he'll leave on this um the chicago white Sox. i'm personally thrilled about it because when i lived in chicago you know we were at the south side um so I, i'm excited to see what it has they have a do, fun team do you uh, think dave duncan becomes their pitching coach <laughs> I mean, if you bring him back, you know, bring him back. Bring I him also, back. I also think it's funny that you knew exactly what I was talking about whenever you shared the 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 announcement with me, and mm-hmm. my immediate response was, "I bet you their power numbers go up." Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, gotta hit, gotta hit the bombers, dude. You gotta make God. requires your hitting coach now. God, all of a sudden, Godfather you know? of steroids, man. He's over in Chicago. Um, yeah, so I, I think it'll be fine. Um, I think that team's going to be, I think that team's going to be just fine. Yeah. I, I yeah. Oh, like I said, like, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I, I think that like, I, I agree with the concept. Like it's, uh, similar to, um, what, uh, who was it? Dusty Baker that signed in, uh, Houston. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it's similar to that. That like, Hey, here, here's this guy that has won championships. Like he's been there. He's got it done in the postseason this is what we're looking to do. And I think the white Sox are there now. And I think that there's a strong possibility that Larusa isn't going to make those Kevin cash type decisions or, you know, manage like Dave Roberts. Like he's going to have like uh, ice in his veins. He's going to go out there like, and he's, he's had gritty guys. Like he's been able to have conversations like, you know, with a Chris Carpenter or, you know, an Adam Wainwright and be like, Hey, this is what we're doing. You know, this is where we're at. Like, this is what we're rolling with. I'm going to stick with my guy. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put faith in, and who, who got us here. Like, I'm going to dance with who I brought and I'm going to make that call. And I feel like some of these new wave of, of managers don't necessarily have that. Like they look a little bit too much into, um, the, the new wave like of you know like your your small ball your analytics your saber metrics shit like that and like they really play matchups and I think that Larusa is gonna be more of like that hard nose old school style like just have a feel for the game uh, but he won't be he won't be completely out of tune with the concept of saber metrics or like that because he's been involved in baseball still this whole time so then that that's where like it, I don't think he'll be bad and I think the White Sox do have a really good team it was it was just interesting because I don't know. I don't know what was such bad blood with the Rick Renteria situation that this opening was kind of an oddity. So I don't know if maybe like they had Larusa in mind and like we're having conversations with him. And when Larusa was like, "Yeah, I totally would come out of like I would totally go back to managing and I'd leave my position in Arizona to manage a team. Um, like my contract's up and I'm not going to retire." If that like, didn't happen on the side, so they was like, "Hey, we're going to part ways because we really like Larusa's fit here." Um, but I know that they were also like, they interviewed AJ Hinch, which I thought was interesting. And then obviously he took the the job in Detroit and I think that he will do well there. Um, and then even more so behind that, like it's come out that Boston's already in talks with rehiring Alex Cora. 
So, so now you're at a point that with all of the fallout that happened from these cheating scandals, the only person that's without a job is Jeff Lunau. And I, and I don't think that that's going to be very long. Like I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Lunau takes like LaRusso's old job in Arizona, you know, like be like president of baseball operations or whatever there and like getting involved in a front office somewhere. I mean, he'll get taken care of. Yeah. Like Lunau's a fucking genius when it comes to baseball somehow, like the dude, just anyone he says to draft, they turn to gold. Um, so he'll, he'll get a job somewhere, but once he's back in baseball, if, if Cora signs somewhere or goes back to Boston, literally everyone that got removed and that, like, I guess the only person that would still be out, you know, in cahoots would be Beltran who should have been a manager. Um, and with what the Mets that he had signed with, and then they like opted to, to nix that, uh, with everything that's going on. So that, that would be the only play, like the only person that would still have some sort of repercussion. Yes. I get that Cora and Hanch and Lunau didn't get paid this last year. Yeah. Whatever. But the players weren't impacted at all. No one gave anything back. Nothing changed, whatever. They're all fine. It's good. Whatever. Fine. Cool. Got it. But literally like they caught like a relatively big scandal in my opinion. And there's one year later, literally nothing, nothing to do about it. Nothing. Um, now granted there's been a shit ton that's happened, but it's just odd to me that so quickly it was like, here you go. Like slap on the wrist. Like, I don't know why it, it was com- completely worth the risk that Houston did with winning the world series. Completely worth it. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now you won a championship. You still have all your players. You're still a good team. You got a good coach still. You lost a little bit of money, but hey, you know, wouldn't have been that mad about it if you wouldn't have lost all the money in the pandemic. So, yeah, no, I cheat again. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Um, yeah, so so I guess like we've we've kind of gone through. We touched on some people. I'm just kind of moving down the list. We've talked about kind of qualifying offers, what they're all about, like the the world we kind of live in with the the new take on things. Um, but I guess like real quick, so like we said, six players got them. Um, I think for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, like Trevor Bowers won. He's probably gonna look for multi year deal, so I don't think he's gonna take a one-year deal for 20 million to go back to um, Cincinnati. I honestly don't even know what he signed, like what his one-year deal was worth for 2020. I guess we can find out real quick. I heard, I heard, I heard the keyboard going already. Yeah. Um, so he made 17.5 million in 2020 with the one-year deal in Cincinnati. Um, he pitched. Uh, I, th- I don't think his record was anything too fantastic, but Cincinnati didn't really have a great win-loss record. But uh, Trevor Bauer had a 1.73 ERA, and he's a finalist for a Cy Young Award. Um, in my opinion, I think probably who should win it in the NL. Um, so probably do a little bit more than a $1 million, $1.5 million raise. Um, or I guess it would be a two and a No, $19 million, yeah, so $1.5 million. Um, so I, I don't think he'll take it, and I honestly think he'll look at like a multi-year deal somewhere. I know we talked about that he was he doesn't want to do multi-year deals anymore, but I think with I I got his, I don't think right. yeah I just don't think it'll he'll stick to that. 
Um, I think that he's going to put more value in wanting to win a championship and find a team that he can build around instead of trying to like guess who he thinks is going to win the World Series every year. Um, so I, I think he'll try to find somewhere that like they can invest in him and like build around like his addition, um, something along those lines. Um, so I, I, I don't think he'll accept it. Um, maybe he does a one-year deal, but I think if he does, it'll be closer to like $25 million for the one year. Uh, so I don't think he's just going to leave $7 million on the board to go back to a team like Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, DJ LeMahieu, him being 32, he's definitely going to want a, a multi-year deal. So I don't think there's any way in hell he accepts it. Um, I think he only made like $12 million. The last two years was like a two-year $24 million contract. He signed with New York. Um, he's going to get way more than that. Um, I, I would imagine, I, I don't know how long he wants to play, but this might be his last contract. I could totally see it being somewhere in the realm of like five years and a hundred million dollars though. Um, yeah, like the DJ LeMayhew. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he just, he just won batting title. Like winning MVP. Yeah. Like he's a finalist for MVP. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't think he accepts a one year deal. Um, JT Realmuto is like probably one of the most sought after free agent catchers that have been in the game for a while now, um, because all of the other top ones have never hit free agency. Like your Yachty Molinas, your Buster Posey's, your Joe Mowers, like that top tier catcher just hasn't ever hit free agency. Teams have kept them locked up. So there hasn't been a talent like this on the free agent market in a while um, for catchers, especially. So I think that he's definitely getting a multi-year deal. Yeah, like he's he's probably gonna get twenty five thirty million a year, some dumb. Um, but he's at least gonna get a multi year deal. So he's not signing it. Uh, George Springer, he's gonna get a multi year deal. He's probably the best outfielder that's on the free agent market. I don't think he's gonna take a one year deal, and he doesn't want to be in Houston anymore. So he's definitely not going back there. Um, so it leaves. The two other players that are kind of oddities, uh, Kevin Gossman, who's, you know, pitched with the Giants, and then Marcus Stroman, who technically is a member of the Mets, but he elected not to play in 2020 uh, due to COVID concerns. Um, Stroman's pretty young and can be pretty good. Like, he's he's only going to be 29. Um, like, he... Like looking looking at his numbers, he had like just over a three ERA, like three point two two ERA, and he doesn't really give up home runs. Um, it's like the big thing they were preaching for is that he like less uh he let uh less than one home run allowed per nine innings pitched across one hundred eighty four innings in two thousand nineteen. So I could see him being like pretty high up there for like the better like on the better end of starting pitchers but it's going to be at a point that he hasn't pitched in a year so i could see him maybe taking the one year 19 million dollars and get back on the field just be it with a club you're familiar with and then just try to put together a strong season and then go back into free agency for the 2022 season like after you build your case Mm -hmm. you know it's like i could see him accepting it um, and then I think that, um, so Gosman, like again, another starting pitcher, he's in like that 29 to 30 range. He's kind of been around the block, 
And I, I think that he may be a guy that'll probably, he would probably be more interested in taking like a three or four year deal for maybe, you know, 12, 13 million a year rather than the one year and like betting on himself. That he's going to have another big year. Um, cause I think he put up like pretty good strikeout numbers, uh, this year for San Francisco. Um, and I think that it was part of that is that it was minimal exposure to good offenses. Cause most of the teams he played were not very good, uh, with it just being the West divisions. Um, so I think he might try to ride that into like a multi-year deal. So really for me, the only one I could see accepting is Stroman and then like, uh, a, 50-50 on Gosman, but I could see it's like maybe like 75% chance that Stroman were to take a one-year deal just because he was out all of the all of this current season. Did I lose you? Are you there? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Didn't Marcus Stroman, didn't he get a qualifying offer? Yeah, he did. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, I, like, Strowman's like probably the only one. Yeah, Strowman's probably the only one I could see that realistically might might accept the offer, um, just because he didn't pitch at all this last year. Um, I think that Gosman will decline it because you'd have to decline it before he goes into free agency, and I think he's gonna want. Um, I think he's gonna want to try to get like a multi-year deal. Um, with him being 30, like he might try to get like four or five year deal from somewhere, maybe take less annually than the 19 million he'd get in the qualifying offer, but be guaranteed a contract for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, I think it's, I'm trying to see like what the date is. Um, yeah, it was 5 PM Sunday for them to extend it. And then players have 10 days to decide whether they want to accept it or not. So what Sunday was the first? Yes, yeah, so you're looking at like the 11th. Um, they will know. So we might hear something from some of these guys next week when we record. Um, if we record, um, spoiler alert: we might move to every other week for a little bit. Um, Short amount of time, a little off season time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. just to. Got the golf course to hit, you know, got vacations yeah. to take. Um, it'll probably be, it'll probably be one of those situations where like, if we, if we do decide to go that route, um, we'll probably just keep an eye on what's going on. And if there's something going on that's worth covering in the realm of MLB, I might just hop on and record something my own. Um, or like maybe hit, find someone to, to cover for Chris while, while he's out, you know, just trying to get some other things in line. There's just, there's yeah, a lot for the application yeah there's just a lot happening in the in the chris household so we're trying to be flexible to uh make life a little easier for him so putting our hobbies on hold a little bit um and figure during during the off season seemed like as good a time as any uh but we'll we'll probably wait to see what's going on with the off season early on before we switch um but i would imagine it would it's it would be in the the pretty near future that we make the change so if there isn't a new episode on a random monday don't get worried we'll we'll there'll definitely be one the following week we you know unless some kind of emergency pops up it'll definitely never be more than one week that we go without recording sure um sure you're stuck with us forever so 
so let's see. So what what else we we talked about? Kind of some of the guys that didn't get options that surprised us. Um, I guess we kept throwing out Wainwright's name, but I don't think Wainwright could have got one. I think he got one the year before. Um, so there's a couple guys that were a couple a couple of guys that are free agents that were ineligible um, that were traded. Um, you know, you're like the the big ones for me are like Taiwan Walker and Robbie Ray that both went to the Blue Jays. Um, they were traded midseason, so they're ineligible for a qualifying offer. Um, but then there were guys that had gotten a qualifying offer for 2020. Um, whether they took it or not, they aren't able to then sign. They aren't able to be offered a qualifying offer the following year. Um, some notable names there like Jake Arietta, Nelson Cruz, um, Daniel Murphy, uh, Marcelo Zuna, um, Justin Turner, David, uh, David Robertson. Carlos Santana. So there's a couple guys there that might have gotten qualifying offers normally, but because they got them previously, they weren't eligible. Um, but in terms of players that didn't get qualifying offers that could have, which makes a difference because there's no compensation to sign them now. Um, I, I think really the ones that are going to be key to look out for, I think Michael Brantley not having draft pick compensation tied to him could be big. Um, I don't see Molina signing anywhere other than the Cardinals, uh, but that could be big. A team could take a flyer on him. Yeah, I think it's a hard, it's a hard sell for me. Yeah, I, I, I just don't really think team, it's a hard sell. Yeah, I just don't think it will be. I it, it would be interesting. Like, um, I forget who they have in Chicago right now, uh, catching for the White Sox. But maybe, maybe something like that. That like Molina goes there for a year under Larusa. They they bring you know they get back together. Um, but uh, Jose Quintana, you know, left-handed pitcher. I think lefty starters are hard to come by that are a good quality. Him not getting a qualifying offer could be interesting. He hasn't been that great lately. He's been pretty injury-prone, but it's interesting that he's available. Um, Jock Peterson, who I think is someone that the Cardinals definitely could look at. I think Brantley would be the other one uh, with there not being the, like they probably won't be as expensive George Springer and there's no draft pick that you have to give up on the back end. So maybe something like that. Um, TD Gregorius, no qualifying offer. So pretty decent shortstop option that isn't, you know, may not be back in Philadelphia. Um, And then, uh, Masahiro Tanaka, I think, is the other big one. Uh, Paxton obviously also didn't get one, but with his back injuries and inconsistency, I don't think it's that surprising. Um, I don't I think you would want to. I was hoping the Yankees qualified offered him just to make you mad, dude. Yeah, I, so I, it would have been surprising because I think Paxton likely would have accepted, um, especially given the year that he had. You know, another year, nineteen million. I think it would be a raise. The Tanaka one is just baffling to me, like I talked about earlier. Um, I think that they missed an opportunity there and it would have made more sense, but I'm hoping that maybe they didn't because they have plans to make a big splash, you know, with going after a Bauer or something along those lines. Um, yeah, cash it, hasn't failed you yet. Right. So, yeah. I mean, so, so far, perhaps not, a perhaps not a Yankee. So we're, we're there. I'm completely okay with the Brett Gardner option being declined. Um, I think they can part ways with him. Clint Frazier is a finalist for gold glove. He figured out his defense. Um, offensively, he's a better threat than Gardner. 
Um, but they need they need to bring in somebody that can bat from the left side of the plate. Um, and that's why I really like that. If they just don't go after LeMahieu and then try to deal for Lindor, I really like that move. Um, I would love to have LeMahieu back. Um, I, obviously, he's just in a league of his own when it comes to being a quality batter. Um, he's definitely going to set the table leading off. Uh, probably hit again for better average, better on base percentage than what you're going to get with Lindor. But Lindor can run. He's a switch hitter. Um, probably better defensively at shortstop than Torres. You get to shift Torres back to second, um, where he's probably better defensively than LeMahieu. So you sure up your infield a little bit uh, to go along with Urshela and Voigt. Um, the only downfall that they really have is they like to do the, hey, we're going to put Tyler Wade in at second and shift LeMahieu to first to remove Voight from the game. And they won't really have that anymore if LeMahieu isn't back. Um, so we'll see. I'm I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be unhappy with either one, but if LeMahieu doesn't sign back and the Yankees aren't a player and going after Lindor, then Cashman and I will need to sit down and have a cup of coffee. Team Cashman for the coffee. You don't even like coffee, Spanks. Um, I would drink all the coffee if it meant I got to sit down with Brian Cashman. That's fair. Um, so we're we're at like the the one twenty four mark, one twenty five. Uh, so we're we're gonna try to to give ourselves a little bit more of a hard stop. Um, so if it seems like we abruptly come to ends of shows, um, right, it's right just, at one thirty, we just cut it. <laughs> well, no, that won't be how it works. Um, the, the hard stop will probably be like an hour 45, but we'll probably try to wrap up closer to one thirty. Um, the idea is that we don't know how much content we're going to have. So if we limit what we go cover in a week, um, but as always, if there's anything that like, we didn't touch on or something you want to hear us go into a little bit further, just hit us up, you know, uh, what is it? The interleague at gmail.com or at the interleague on Twitter, just hit us yeah. up. Let us know. We love we'll, Lance Lynn. Anyone we'll chat. Yeah, we we do. Yes. Who was it that tweeted out like something? The gist of the tweet was like Lance Lynn's the most underrated pitcher in MLB, and yeah. Chris and I have talked about him many a times with how big on Lance Lynn we are. Um, yeah. so we had to let him know the inner leagues. Yeah. Real pro yeah. Lance Lynn. Yeah, we are not sleeping on Lance Lynn. You heard it here first, not on Twitter. It's right here. So. Um. So what? To get credit. Yeah, so what so what better way? So we we've talked about it a little bit. Um they are doing award season. So we're going to do just, you know, kind of some hot takes for like the big the big four rewards that are that are coming out. Um MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year. Um we'll we'll go through, we'll we'll, we'll let you know who's in the finalists. We'll give our prediction kind of why um, shouldn't be long. I think some of them, for the most part, I feel like we're probably going to be on the same page, but either way, whatever. Um, I'm just going to go down the order in the list in which they have them. Um, so that way it's easier on this. Give me just a second. All right. So again, I think it's just three players for the finalists for each one. Uh, so we got the NL most valuable player. Um, and your options are Mookie Betts for the Dodgers, Freddie Freeman for Atlanta, and Manny Machado for San Diego. Um, who do you think it's going to go to? I think this decision's easy. I think without this player, 
you did not win a World Series, and with this player, you did win a World Series, and Mookie Betts is your MVP. I I also agree. Um, I think there's solid arguments for the other guys. Um, they played for the three best teams in the National League. They were centerpieces for each one, but one of them finished first, and then one of them won the World Series. And, you know, Betts got it done on the bases, got it done in the field, came up with the timely hits, um, and was really the big difference in pieces that they added from where they were and what they did in 2020. So mm-hmm. I think that it's it's simple enough to, to give it to Betts. Um, <clears throat> if I had to predict a, an upset, um, I would probably go... I, th- I think Pretty that... Free. Uh, I I think Machado has an easier opportunity to upset bets than Freeman will. Um, and that's simply because the other pieces that were around Machado are relatively young compared to Machado, who is also relatively young in terms of baseball. Because um, I think he signed his big deal when he was like 27 or 28. And he's only been in San Diego for, what, two years? Like he's probably 30 at the most. Yeah. Um, so he's on the relatively young side. Um, but he led a team of guys that are younger than him. Um, so I could see that playing a part. Like San Diego was probably far and above the most improved team this year from where they were previously. Um, at the same time though, Fernando Tatis Jr. is an absolute stud and you know, it's like that also played a part, but you could also say the same thing about like Cody Bellinger or like Corey Seager in the years that they had. Um, that if you take away any of those guys, maybe the Dodgers don't win a World Series. But those guys aren't on this list, so I think for that reason it'll go to bets. Um, I I don't think I feel like this is maybe different than um like how it normally goes because hmm. I I feel like you can like you know uh. Like there, I feel like more than just like three guys get votes for these awards. Like I don't know if they're doing it differently. Like, hey, we're just giving you the finalists, and these are the only guys you can vote for. Like I, I feel like that's different than normal, but I could be wrong. I don't really, I honestly, I don't really pay attention to this stuff that much because usually I don't agree with them a lot of times. So, <laughs> I, I don't really care. Like the baseball writers are just a bunch of old shrews. Um, you know, whatever, like they fuck things up all the time. Um, but either way. So, um, on to the AL. Uh, you have so AL MVP, you have Jose Abreu from the White Sox, DJ LeMayhew from the Yankees, Jose Ramirez from Cleveland. Um, if it's up to me, I don't know really much about either I I mean I know who they are, but I didn't really track their seasons. Um like I know, yeah. So I don't know much about any of them. I go toss up, and uh, just because you know we want Tony Larusa to see big wins, I guess we're going with the Brave. Going with the Brave, um, yeah, definitely not bad. Like just looking at kind of what they talk about, like he was, uh, he led the AL in hits and slugging percentage. He led the majors in RBIs with sixty, um, so you know won a game. Uh, and total bases, and his 19 home runs were second only to Luke Voigt. So from a stat standpoint, 
Um, he was definitely, definitely there. Um, LeMahieu obviously just batting wise, like on base percentage, OPS, batting average, led the majors. Um, only player ever to win a batting title in both leagues, which I get the other time he did it. It really doesn't matter for this year, uh, but it's still something that's accomplished. Um, and then Ramirez is just like, I feel like Ramirez is just that guy that like, we have to have a third and he's our next best option. Uh, but I yeah. totally think I t- like, it's not that his numbers were bad. Um, he, you know, posted a career best in OPS, hit 17 home runs, stole 10 bases. Um, in a 162 game season, that would have been like 45 home runs and 27 stolen base base, uh, based on the numbers they're looking at here. So definitely like a solid year from Jose Ramirez, but it's like, okay. So if you look at, you know, batting, like I'm going to say like efficiency, you know, like your on base percentage, your OPS, you know, your, your batting average, he loses out to LeMahieu. And if you look at power numbers and like just hits in general, he loses out to Abreu. So he's, he's just a, like, he, you know, he's number two on both sides. So it's like, if they look at them both overall, you could see him make the argument, but I just feel like he's too far behind on both ends that the other one's going to go with it. Um, I also think that the reason why Cleveland was as good as they were this year was a lot to do with their pitching and both the White Sox and New York were hugely more successful because of their offense. Um, my nod's going to go to LeMayhew, A, because I'm biased and I'm not going to lie about it, um, and and B, I think that LeMayhew really stepped up and led that offense and had the Yankees stay relevant during time frames when Torres, you know, Sanchez uh, weren't performing, Stanton was hurt, Judge was hurt, you know, like just no, no one was doing anything. It was Voight and LeMayhew that kind of carried the team, um, so that's why I'm going to give them the nod, um, but... I, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to Abreu, but I'm rooting for LeMahieu. Uh, okay. So uh, AL Cy Young, uh, you have Kenta Maeda from Minnesota, Hyunjin Ray, uh, Ryu from Toronto, and then Shane Bieber from Cleveland. Uh, we take it, Shane Bieber here. He won the tri- he won the AL pitching triple crown. He led the league in wins, strikeouts, and ERA. Uh, yeah, like I I don't know how many starts he made, but he got eight wins. Um, you figure if they had five guys that pitched every fifth day over sixty games, he made twelve starts. So he he won. Like I I'm sure he didn't go eight and four, but he won at least a third of the games he's he started. One six three ERA and 122 strikeouts. It's pretty good. It's more than ten strikeouts to start. Uh Stellar line, I don't even think it's worth looking at what Meta and Ryu did. They had great seasons, I'm sure, uh, but Shane Bieber should hands down be the AL Cy yeah, Young winner. They had good seasons. They're on the list. That doesn't mean yeah. they're the winner. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, like Meta, I think he went, like, looking at his 6-1 with a 2.70 ERA. Solid numbers, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, 80 strikeouts. Definitely good. That's good. A good year, for sure, but it's yeah. not It's not eight wins it's not a 1.63 ERA and it's not 122 strikeouts, <laughs> you know, like Ryu, he's a little bit lower than that. Um, little higher ERA, one less win. Granted, he was with a team that probably wasn't as good, you know, Toronto. Um, 
Definitely not as good of a team as Cleveland or Minnesota. But solid year. But sorry, man. You just you ran into the buzzsaw that is Shane Bieber this year. He'll be your Cy Young winner. I I I don't even predict an upset. Like if if Shane Bieber doesn't win the AL Cy Young Award winner, I'm never going to talk about someone winning a Cy Young ever again because <laughs> they don't mean yeah. anything. So yeah. Uh, so the NL side, you have uh, for Cy Young, you have Trevor Bauer from Cincinnati, you Darvish from Chicago, and Jacob Degrom from the Mets. Oh, uh, yeah, we're due. We're going Bauer outage all day. <clears throat> um, and I'd like to, it coming from the NL Center it would be cool too. Um, and I think Trevor Bauer was a really good pitcher uh, um, this year in general. So, yeah, he. It definitely, definitely was pretty stellar. Um, bounced back quite a bit. Um, so obviously he got traded to the Reds 2019, and he was terrible in Cincinnati. Um, he had the best spin rate, though. <laughs> he did. Um, like, looking at this, like, because they even talk about it, he went, like, down the stretch, like, in his final 10 starts with Cincinnati in 2019, he went 2-5 and five with a 6.39 ERA. Um, signed the one-year deal to come back, you know, $17 million. Um, led the NL, 1.73 ERA, struck out 100 batters over 73 innings, um, and he allowed one run or fewer in eight of his 11 starts and struck out at least 12 batters in four of them. So really good. Um, they don't talk about his wins because, again, Cincinnati's offense was terrible. Um, if you want proof of that, just look at game one of their wild card series against Atlanta. Uh, Bauer was absolutely disgusting. I think he pitched like seven or eight innings, scoreless baseball, and the Reds offense did nothing and ended up losing one nothing in like 13 innings or whatever. Um, so I, I think. Nine in that game. Do I? Did he pitch nine innings? That Some, game? Something like that. I don't know. It was it was some oh, ridiculous number. Um, I know, I know Max Free didn't. I know Atlanta went to their bullpen earlier than Cincinnati. Um, but either, either way, Bauer pitched a gem and got zero run support. So his win record probably doesn't look as good as what it should because Cincinnati's offense was god awful. Pitching a gem, um, and losing in the ninth, or pitching a gem getting pulled in the you know five and two <laughs> i would much rather have my pitcher lose, lose it in the ninth yeah i would much yeah. rather have my pitcher lose it in the ninth and go go with the guy that got me there um um i so Degrom, i think that his name's up here because of who he is he didn't have a terrible year um he oh, horrible yeah, he he was on a real bad team. Um, he finished like a two point three eight ERA. Um, like, like it's just not like uh, like look, looking at his numbers. So he yeah. So yes and no like his his numbers aren't far off like and they're actually probably a little bit better than what they were last year when he won the Cy Young um his ERA is higher than what it was in 2018 um but his case per nine was up his whip is down from last year's ERA was down um and his case per nine were like actually like two point like two strikeouts higher so he struck out more guys 
and his record was kind of about the same. Like he went 10 and 9 in 2018, 11 and 8 in 2019, 4 and 2 last year. So he put up similar type of numbers, but it's like the difference is just like, you know, so he had a 2.38 ERA to Bowers 1.73 and U Darvish's 2.01. Um I think that if the season ended after like if the season just consisted of August, you Darvish was your Cy Young winner. Um, from July 31st through September 4th, he made seven starts. He went 7-0 and and had a 0.98 ERA. Um, so it's like, if it were just that month, it would be great. But he finished 8-3 and with a 2.01 ERA, 93 strikeouts. So really, like, the only leg up he has is that he won more games, but he Darvish pitched for Chicago whereas DeGrom and, and Bauer pitch for the Mets in Cincinnati. So I think this one, it's a little bit more of a toss-up because similar numbers have won the Cy Young each of the last two years. It could be, like, DeGrom could get, like, the what I'm going to call the Tim Lincecum factor and that they remember what he did in this full 162 and what other people did just kind of isn't as impressive. And they're like, well, DeGrom just did the same thing he's done the last two seasons. It just, the numbers didn't get as high because it was only 60 games. And so maybe he sneaks it out. I would say it's either going to be DeGrom or Bauer, but I think it should go to Bauer. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Not, not, not to take anything away from Darvish, but like, Darvish had one really strong month. I guess really strong two months because it was like a start in July and then, you know, a start in September. So it was like seven starts of 35 days. Like, yeah, maybe a month, whatever. A month and some change um, that he was really good. But outside of that, like outside of that stretch, he went one and three. You know, like, and like, and so the other the other five starts weren't so great you know so he was really stellar for a little bit and then not so great for other stretches um so we'll see um this one is a little tough for me because i don't know much about the guys but we're gonna we're gonna go with it anyway whatever uh rookie of the year um so you have uh alec bohm or bomb i don't know how to pronounce it b-o-h-m for the Phillies, Jake Cronenworth for San Diego, and Devin Williams for Milwaukee. Um, well, <laughs> we found out earlier that Devin Williams was from Missouri. So let's go, Devin Williams. I, I'm going to give him the nod. Yeah, I, I don't really either. Um, obviously, Cronenworth just proves the point that we talked about with Machado earlier that there's just a lot of really good young talent in San Diego. Um, you know, that they have another guy looking for rookie of the year. Um, if obviously, you're a brewer, they can make that list. You got to be good. Yeah, true. And he's a relief pitcher for the brewers. So not yeah, only that, um, but yeah, I mean, his, his numbers were, were pretty good. Um, he allowed one run over 27 innings, like a 0.33 ERA posted a 0.63 whip. And he struck out, 53 batters in 27 innings. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm lo- looking to see like just kind of the stat lines. It's, it's relatively tough in my opinion to compare, you know, 
uh, position gonna... players to pitchers, um, which is why I why I don't like pitchers winning MVP because they have the Cy Young. Like just, yeah, you know, I, I I get it can happen, but your number like you would really have to be special to be a starting pitcher or a closer and win an MVP because you probably only were involved in you know a small portion of your team's games. Like if you're a starter, yeah. you probably made 32 starts, which means there were what 130 games you had nothing to do with so how could you be the most valuable person to your team you were the cheerleader yeah yeah like i just don't i don't get it um you could go 32 and 0 and your team could not make the playoffs like so like yeah you were valuable to your team but like your your team didn't do anything without you so like does that make you valuable like I, i i don't know that's why i think it's weird like you're the Cy Young. Just take your award and move on. Um, but yeah, so so Boom like looks like he hit 338, four home runs, 11 doubles, 23 RBIs. Seems pretty solid numbers. Uh, looks like a little better than what Cronenworth did. Um, also at four home runs, 15 doubles, stole a couple bases, bat 285. It's like I looking at statistically. Like Bohm had the better numbers and played on a team that didn't make the playoffs, whereas San Diego was pretty deep. Like Jake Cronenworth wasn't a name you probably heard very often throughout the season. Uh, we followed baseball pretty closely, and I don't think we've ever talked about him. Um, when you think of San Diego, it's not the name that comes to mind. Not that that takes anything away from him, um, but we didn't really hear. Uh, Bohm's probably the only name I had heard. Before it's like if you name those three guys, I probably would have been able to tell you that Bone played for Philadelphia. Probably not the other two who they played for. Um, but like we said, Williams' numbers are disgusting for a relief pitcher, um, and he's from the St. Louis area, so well, I'll, I'll go with him as well. True. I don't. I don't know how the comparison will work out, but I feel like I feel like Williams is probably the best relief pitcher in baseball, like middle reliever in baseball, if not relief pitcher in general. So if that doesn't win you rookie of the year, when like you're the best at what you do, then I'm a firm believer that a relief pitcher is never going to win rookie of the year ever. (laughs) So, um, so then on the AL side, this one I think is a little different. Um, I have heard of all of these people. Um, but I think that there's one, in my opinion, that sticks out above everyone else. But you have Christian Javier for Houston, uh, Kyle Lewis for Seattle, and then Luis Robert for the White Sox. Yeah, so uh, isn't it Lu- Luis Robert? I don't know. could be. It's spelled like Robert, and that's what I'm calling him. I think him. it's Robert. Nope, his name's Luis Robert. And uh, we're going to take another White Sox off the board here. Uh, Tony's getting a good team. Um, we got to go to your boy. Yeah, I, um, I caught him play, caught, caught a couple games just because all the hype he got. Um, we kind of talked about him pretty early on. Um, a lot of guys compared him to Mike Trout. I don't think he's quite as good as Mike Trout is, um, but don't get me wrong, he's definitely – a solid player, uh, led all rookies with 31 RBIs, um, and his 10 home runs were tied with uh, Kyle Lewis for most home runs by a rookie. Um, so stellar numbers statistically, um, made some great catches out in the outfield. 
Uh, it's one of those situations where he's it's he's a rookie because it's his first year in the MLB. Um, but I think he was an international free agent signing. So I think he's a little older than some guys when they break into the league. Um, and he had been playing professional for a little bit. Now that that takes anything away from him, he's still eligible. But I think that that showed a little bit um, that it was that it was that aspect. Um, just proud. yeah, just I I think he will be a superstar in the, for that team for years to come. Um, like I said, I'm not I'm not so bought into the Mike Trout the Mike Trout hype yet, but whatever. Uh, it'll be it'll be there. Hey, um, if you want to get compared to Mike Trout, that's fine because. Hopefully they want to compare you to how many championships you've also won as Mike Trout. So, you know, if that's if you're comfortable with zero. Yeah, it's fair. Um, all right. Uh, just manager of the year is all we got left. We'll make them quick. Um, on the AL, you got Kevin Cash for Tampa Bay, Charlie Montoya for Toronto, and Rick Renteria for the White Sox. Uh, yeah, even though Kevin Cash makes a horrible move in the World Series, you know, Kevin Cash is obviously probably – the winner here, uh, I think, just in the regular season, the way they handled the Yankees, um, which I don't really remember a time when they handled the Yankees like that. Um, and really, they handled a lot of teams, uh, albeit maybe a 60-game season, but um, I think he managed them pretty well throughout the year. One very questionable call, but other than that, you would have probably trusted his judgment. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that it's a strong possibility that Cash gets the nod here. Um, I like what Montoya did in Toronto. Uh, it's another young team. They were a lot of fun to watch. They also made the playoffs. Um, unfortunately, they played Tampa Bay in the first round, and Tampa Bay is a better team than Toronto. Uh, but I think the window for Toronto to be a force in the AL East is just opening, whereas I think that Tampa Bay's is probably more so starting to close. Um, because I think they're going to lose some of their, their big guys. Like I think their pitching is going to go away. I'm sure they'll find a way to reload because that's what they always do. Um, but I, I think that Montoya did a great job and probably unexpected. I think Toronto is probably the big, like, oh man, I didn't expect this to happen. What I hope happens though, is that Rick Renteria wins manager of the year after the White Sox fired him. <laughs> hmm. That would be friggin' that would be <laughs> so. Pretty cool. So I think, but... yeah. So I think that that's uh. So I think that that's the, the what I hope for. Um, I I think it, I don't want to say that's what I hope. I think it would be hilarious if Rick Renteria wins it. I I hope that um, I hope that uh Charlie Montoya wins it in Toronto, but I think Kevin Cash will win it. <laughs> so if that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. So last one on the NL side. This one I have no fucking clue. Um, you have Don Mattingly in Miami, David Ross in Chicago uh, with the Cubs, and then Jace Tingler with San Diego. Um, I feel like this decision for you is going to be real similar to what you did for the NL Rookie of the Year. <laughs> so, so we also we also found out from our boy Derek Gould. Yeah, we found out from our boy Derek Gould that Jay Singler apparently went to Mizzou, uh, so he's kind of a Missouri product. Z-O-U, Z-O-U. <laughs> um, but I will say that I I think that San Diego made a huge improvement. Um, not that Mattingly did a bad job in Miami. I think with everything that they faced, 
They were, you know, the worst team in the NL last year. They made the playoffs this year. They beat the Cubs in the first round. Um, They hung with Atlanta for a little bit in game one, and then it was all downhill from there. Um, So I I will applaud Mattingly, um, but I think that what Tingler did in San Diego is a little bit more unexpected. Um, But I think it'll be a toss-up between them. I don't even know why David Ross's name is on here. Um, In my opinion, I think that, like, Schilt did a better job managing with all the COVID stuff they had to deal with, which I get was, like, self-inflicted. But I think managing through all of that and all the doubleheaders that they faced is way better than anything that David Ross did. Managing a team that, like... is, was already competing for the division and whatnot. Like they had such a down year last year that, Oh, David Ross manager of the year. Cause he took over and the Cubs went and won the central again. Shut up. Like whatever, mm-hmm. like the Cubs should have won the division every year since they won the world series. And I think they've only won the division once. They suck. Yeah. Like he, he didn't do anything. I don't know why his name's on this list. Um, so whatever, like they, they didn't have like the stellar record. They only went 34 and 26. They were the worst division winning team in baseball. I think, um, I think every other division winner had a better record than the Cubs. So what, Dude, whatever. The MLB loves to eat, yeah. eat that Cubs situation. So, so David, eat dollar of that. so I'm, I'm just, I'm rooting for not David Ross. Um, I could, I can find a reason either way for Don Mattingly and Jace Tingler. Um, I'm going to give the nod to Tingler for si- simply for the fact that if this were a normal season, the San Diego Padres would have made the playoffs still. The Miami Marlins would not have. So I think it is great what Mattingly has done. It is a great step forward. Um, but I want to see it over 162 and actually earn an actual playoff spot. Uh, because I think if they weren't in the playoffs, this wouldn't be talked about, and they were only in the playoffs because of COVID restrictions. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm going to give Tingler the nod. And, you know, he's a Mizzou boy, so why not? Yeah. And I don't think the San Diego Padres had to, uh, like, stop play for, like, two weeks because the whole team got COVID. So it's kind of on the manager, so he's going to lose that nod, dude. We're we're picking the Mizzou, the Mizzou uh, player. For Fair sure. enough. Um, I think most of these are announced. Let's see. The 12th. Also, Don Nestle doesn't allow you to have facial hair on his team, so he's no fun. <laughs> the 11th, the 9th, and manager of the year is the 10th. So so if if we record next week, we won't have any of these. So it might be a bit before we uh, we get to cover what uh, what actually happens. Um, but it'll be, you know, on the 16th maybe would we'll be the next like time. Post announcements on the Twitter. Like, we, maybe we need to get a, uh, like a, yeah. a, a, someone on payroll that does like art or something. You know? I, I, I sit around and do nothing. So I can totally tweet more. Well, cool. Well, cool. You're already on the payroll. So that sounds, yeah. that sounds like the, you know, current MLB model. Like just. All right. Well. You already got so well i talk way longer than i always intend to so we're at like that 153 we're not hitting our 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 hard cut off of an hour 45 hard but whatever hard. i don't hard cut i don't care um don't care. i'm a terrible person whatever you're gonna lose sleep because of me and i apologize you're still my friend and care. i love you he doesn't care what time i gotta wake up he doesn't care i i do care what time you gotta wake up it just doesn't impact me 
you know, but it, I guess I shouldn't say it doesn't impact me because it will impact me because I will have to listen to you complain about it tomorrow. <laughs> so, so it does impact me. Mm. You know, but what, whether, yeah, whether, whether you think I care about you or not, you, you know, I love you and it'll be okay. We'll get through this together. Um, but all right. Uh, so yeah, that's our, our take. Um, I don't know when we'll be live again. Uh, either, either next Monday we'll record. No, I mean, it'll, it'll either be Monday the 19th or Monday the 16th or Monday the 9th. I don't know why I said the 19th. I was looking at the calendar and I said the 19th because I'm an idiot. Uh, so Monday the 9th, the 19th is a Thursday. That's our interdimension podcast. Um, intergalactic. Did we, uh, where we explore the, uh, all gas, no breaks. (laughs) Uh, conscious life uh, expo. I don't even know what that is, but you can fill me in tomorrow. Oh, oh did I not send that to you? <laughs> I don't know. You you might have. Whatever. I have, I have so many things that I need to read from articles that you send me. I try to keep, I try to keep up, but I'm, I'm terrible at it. Um, but yeah, so I think this about does it for us. Uh, again, um, the inner league at gmail.com or at the inner league on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Don't be shy. Um, there's no such thing as a bad idea, just dumb ones. So it'll be fine. Sure. Got anything else? Uh, no. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in and, uh, maybe until next week, but if not till next time, stay cool. Holla.